Alrighty, okay, let's grab a seat and we will crack on. Um, thanks for mingling and tingling, guys. That was awesome. Um, also, hey, thanks so much for your prayers and support um, just for youth camp. That's not central. That's going to do my head in. Um, I need help. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your support and prayers for camp. And um, yeah, we had a great time. We had an awesome time. Love the feedback about that at some point. And no doubt part of that was due to your prayers and, and your support. So thank you so, so much for that. Um, and last week, it, Robert, you nailed it, mate. That was a cool preach. Seemed like a really, really neat service. I'm not going to lie, mildly intimidated following on from that. But um, hey, we're going to go into the scriptures and look to Jesus, so that's safe ground. Um, so without further ado, let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. I saw Robert was bullying you last week by not having it on the screen. I'm going to curry favor automatically by having it on the screen. Um, so let's look at that. And this is um, Jesus just continuing on from chapter 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to, for to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Cool. If we could flip back to the, the previous slide, please, Glenn. Awesome. All righty, we're going to stick to this passage like peanut butter and runny honey on toast. So stick to it. Um, first thing we want to pick up on is his own city in verse 1. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, but he spent a large chunk of those three years of his ministry in Capernaum. So first up, just to clarify, when we're talking about his own city, um, that is Capernaum. And we know from chapter 8, verse 28, that he's come from the country of the Gadarenes, which Robert spoke into last week. Now, we need to pause even further at this point and consider this word city. Um, Shanghai, population approximately 26 million. London, population approximately 9, 10 million. Um, I feel like someone's going to bring me up on these stats, but these are approximate. Um, population of Auckland, last census, 1.6 million. Population of Christchurch, about the 400,000 mark. Uh, population of Timaru, shout out to any Timaru folk. Well, well there's a few. Um, 30,000. Population of Mighty Twizel. Oh, that's a good reaction. Uh, around 1,650. Population of Capernaum at the time of Jesus, approximately 1,500. Why they have put city, I do not know, but there we go. Um, and just thinking about that, let's just think about Twizel and Capernaum. You weren't expecting that this morning. Um, some might call Twizel the center of the universe. It's got lakes, it's got mountains, it's got mountain biking, it's got fish hunting. Uh, you've got Tekapur up the road, and not just one Foursquare. 
too. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. Can you imagine Jesus spending the chunk of his three-year ministry, the majority chunk, in Twizel? Just think about it. Him performing those miracles in Twizel. The Facebook group would be in meltdown. Old men would be drinking their spates at the bar at night and froth would be flying as they were telling the stories of what Jesus had got up to that day. And there would be no room to embellish because it would already be so wild. I'd probably be mildly confused as to what to talk about. And then thinking again of Capernaum, another sleepy little town, which they may take issue at me calling it a sleepy little town, but compared to Shanghai of 26 million, I think that's a fair comment. Can you imagine the intrigue, the disturbance, and the mayhem caused by the ministry of Jesus in that little town? Uh, next slide, please, Glenn. In fact, two would be awesome to the photo. Cool. So this is um, the view of Bath, where I grew up in, in England, looking uh, from Alexandra Park. It's a beautiful city. A lot of that is limestone. There's um, restrictions on what you can build in Bath as well. And so when the sun hits it from the left-hand side of the screen, uh, particularly at night uh, with the sunset, it just lights up. It's beautiful, this golden color. And I would um, walk from my home not too far to the right. Um, I would walk down the hill, and you can see that the, the, the train track's just curving around. Um, I would walk through the train station. I would walk past the bus station. Um, I would see familiar faces. I would even um, smell familiar smells. I was in Wellington a couple of weeks ago, and I just got a big waft of bus exhaust fume up my nose as I was walking by, and it took me straight back to Bath. That was weird. Um, second most polluted city outside of London in England, it used to be. There's a fun fact for you. Um, but it's funny how even smells can just stir up memory. And I, I'd see the same guy at the bus station in Bath, wearing the same hat, you know, every day of the year, the mechanic there in the bus station. I'd see people I knew. I knew this place like the back of my hand. How well did Jesus get to know Capernaum? How well did Capernaum get to know Jesus? Who were the familiar people in the same place day after day after day? Did the town have a, a distinct smell that drifted towards Jesus as he arrived at the town via the boat he was in? If anyone's been to a Middle Eastern market, you know, just those smells of spices and food being cooked. And, and back then as well, no flushing toilets, so there was a bit of nasty stuff mingled in probably as well in any sort of town you were, you were coming up to. How many people did Jesus interact with in Capernaum? And that leaves us nicely on to verse 2, which I think if we go, yeah, awesome, thanks, Glenn. And behold. Some have translated that as, just then. Just then, some people brought to him a paralytic. There is an immediate reaction to Jesus and his arrival in the town based on an understanding of who he is. People had formed a perception of him. So how are we received, well, how are we perceived even in our hometown? How are we perceived amongst our friends? How are we perceived amongst our family, our sports club, church, workplace, our friends and our enemies? 
Uh, I do football once a week, and I've been doing it for about six months now, and it is so much fun. I'm in a team with um, a 60-year-old Glaswegian defender, and he does not take a step back in defense. Uh, I've got a South African guy who's over 60. There's another South African guy in his 30s. There's myself. There's a guy from Manchester in England, and we've got two token Kiwis as well on the team. And um, we just have a great team vibe, a great team atmosphere. It's really nice. Um, but it was funny going into that six months ago. I was really thinking about who do I want to be in that space? Who, who do I want to be perceived as? Not to wear a mask or pretend I'm, I'm something I'm not, but who am I? And if I, if I focus on that, then that will determine in part how I'm perceived. And some of it was quite easy. Like, I really am passionate about respecting the ref, but... I, I also play to the line a bit. So, you know, if, if I'm in defense and I've got a striker really close to me and I've managed to get close and he's just about to shoot and his leg is cocked and he's got a big boot on him, I just, you know, get the shoulder in slightly just to knock him off balance. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that one. I don't think Soph's entirely comfortable with my antics. This one I'm not comfortable with. I've, I've tried to change on this one, but when there was a penalty, if this is the, the penalty spot right up against the edge of the stage, I'd be like, okay. Ref, is this three meters? And he'd be like, no, further back, Seb. I'd be like, okay, is that three meters, Ref? Oh, okay, yep, thanks, Ref. <laughs> and I'm just watching the guy, and I think I've intimidated a few people into missing a penalty from that. And I did feel bad about that afterwards, not at the time. Um, <laughs> but it's this whole thing of how do we want to be perceived? How do we want to be perceived? Second part of verse two. Um, is the good news of the gospel. Even when we are physically or situationally or internally paralyzed with an area of our life, even when we can't get to Jesus without help, turning to him always stirs up a loving, gentle, and uplifting response. Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. I remembered at this point um, when I was just praying about this and planning this, um, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, which we looked at a few months ago. Um, it talks about uh, Jesus' yoke being easy and his burden being light, and his heart is gentle and lowly. This is the heart of Jesus being revealed in this, this verse. He cares, he understands, he empathizes, he really sees us. And I love it that the scripture says their faith as well. He saw the, the faith of the group as a whole who brought the man to Jesus. Something stirred in Jesus' heart. Simple, real faith stirs the heart of God. Even if it feels as small as a mustard seed. And that is so, 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 so small. And I, I loved uh, what Robert spoke into last week. And I think you've been, you've been touching on this a bit over recent weeks, Robert. Drip, 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 drip. Um, that whilst faith is the currency of heaven, as Robert said, and, and by faith we are saved through, through faith in what Jesus has done. Um, at the same time, God still moves at times when we don't have faith. And I love what Robert said last week of, look at Lazarus, he was dead. <laughs> I mean, that's such a checkmate point. Uh, you can't really argue with that. And I think also the last thing on verse 2, and... Um, being open with you guys, it would be so easy for me to dodge this. Very easy. But actually, Jesus' response to the man by saying his sins are forgiven suggests there's a link between his sickness 
and his sin in this passage. Now, does that mean that we're going to say here, if you're sick, it's because of sin in your life? No, we're not going to say a blanket thing like that, and that, that would be ridiculous to do. And the vast majority of time, I've prayed with people, I've journeyed with people, and there's sickness and illness. It's so clearly not that. However, Scripture is pointing us to something there, and we can't dodge it. And I think in response to that, we've got to be really discerning. And I think it's a bit of a sobering moment reading that in the Scripture, to be honest. Okay, verse 3. Um, just on this whole perceiving thing, we can desire to be perceived in one way, but um, whether we are actually perceived in, in the way we desire to be is another matter. And Jesus faces that in verse 3. The scribes are saying to themselves, this man is blaspheming. There's something in us that wants to be liked, that wants to be seen, that wants to be known, that wants to be desired. And thankfully, God is top of the class in all those areas of meeting those needs. Like he is able to meet those needs and more in us. And we can find those needs healthily met in community as well. But there's just something in us at times, I think, that, that bubbles up in, in feeling or creating or, um, I don't know, just, just a popularity contest kind of just bubbles up. It's interesting um, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, we see Jesus in Nazareth. Uh, one of the reasons why Capernaum is his hometown. We see Jesus is in Nazareth, and he's just read out that scripture that Robert's just um, shared with us, Isaiah 61. And the reaction is visceral. Um, he is completely rejected to the extent where they try and push him off a cliff. I mean, I can't think of just, that's, that's a pretty simple rejection in itself and violent one. And in Mark uh, chapter 6 as well, uh, it tells us that the crowd, as this was bubbling up in them, were referring to Jesus as the son of Mary. Not the son of Joseph, the son of Mary. They're, they're undermining his identity. They're suggesting he is illegitimate and that Joseph isn't even his father in that verse. So this is a full rejection of Jesus. His identity, his ministry, everything. His deity, but also the person of him. So here's the thing. So many people did not see Jesus for who he was, and they utterly rejected him. Let's crank that up another gear. In John 6, 66, um, John talks about these people um, who are disciples of Jesus, who saw him, they followed him, and they still walked away. And I think this is a really interesting one. If Jesus did not win the popularity contest, and neither will we, it's okay to be like friendly, and obviously we want to be liked, and there's something really good about that and natural, but there are definitely moments where you know, that popularity contest can rise up in us, and we have to really die to ourselves in that sense. Alrighty, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is um, implying through his questions. Uh, let's read those questions. Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Jesus is implying that it would be, it's easier in a way to say your sins are forgiven, because there's no way of proving it. Um, that's, that's kind of a simple element to what he's asking. But I, I think there's something else going on here. Because I think um, Jesus' questions here reveal simultaneously what is on his heart and what is on the Pharisee's heart. 
It reveals his heart, which is for the full salvation, forgiveness of sins, physical healing, transformation, a building up of people. And simultaneously, what's on the Pharisee's heart of this mudly um, legalism and self-righteousness. A religious spirit masquerades as intelligence, but is blind to Jesus. And it's sobering and humbling when you see that in yourself at times. <laughs> Side note, just whenever we read um, about the, Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees or the scribes and this kind of accusatory sort of stuff going on, as we've been kind of thinking about maybe when we face that, we face those accusatory things, but we also have to check in our own heart whether we've actually got some of that going on towards others or even ourselves or God. I think it's also important to highlight at this juncture that questions are fantastic tools in conflict moments, just on a real practical level. And like any tool, they need the right heart and they need wisdom um, for its effective use, but they're so helpful. And, and I was thinking about Jesus and that he is the epitome of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't he? He's, he's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's full of joy. He is also razor sharp in his intelligence. I mean, this is... This, Jesus, as a boy, had the teachers of the law confounded and astounded in a, in a culture which prizes debate and oratory. And so if questions are good enough for Jesus so often, I think they're good enough for us quite often as well in conflict moments. Um, I was thinking of uh, the coaching course I did in Hamilton um, oh, a year or so ago, um, which some of you did here too. Um, and there was this guy on this coaching course called Michael. And I, I really warmed to him. He was a lovely guy, just a real gentle, genuine smile. And he was really um, upfront, early doors, about the fact that I'm not very good at listening and I feel sorry for my wife and my kids because I just end up doing things and I don't listen. Um, <laughs> and it was just really endearing. Um, but here was Michael who was just owning where he was at. And, and we, we broke off into to groups quite frequently to, to practice listening to each other and asking questions. And... There was Michael, and it's really struck me this moment. Michael just had the questions in front of him. He was praying and just trying to connect with God, and he was trying to just listen to the person in front of him. And those three things just led to beautiful moments with people. And I was like, wow, it really is that simple so often. And so often it's not like an elaborate question. It's actually often just a simple question is sufficient to help the person in front of you in, in just unlocking things. Um, whether it's conflict or journeying. I was thinking as well of icons, um, which we used to have here. And one of the things I loved about what Don set up in the team was um, when these, these young boys would come in, our icons program was for year young ones, below year seven and eight, like year four to year six or so. Yeah, something like that, real young, full of beans, full of beans. And sometimes, like, some of these boys were just, like, really not happy, like, really riled up, a lot of anger and just fireworks. Now, the temptation is to, right, I'm going to meet fire with fire. And, you know, you're just clashing and butt-headed, that. Um, anyway, but you, what we really um, realized and Don really um, kind of helped the team with was ask the kids, how's your day been? If you know them, like, how's it going at home? And suddenly there was this kind of connection with what had happened earlier in the day or what was happening elsewhere. 
And it was almost, you could see like the joining of the dots so often. And then it was like, oh, I'm able to actually manage and understand what's, what I'm experiencing. And then oh, I'm actually feeling really seen by the leader. And, and we would be able to work through it. It was really, really special. It wasn't always that easy. <laughs> it really wasn't. But it was beautiful at times. Okay, verse 6. Uh, if we could go to the next slide. Thanks, Glenn. Um, authority is mentioned here, and Jesus is just oozing it at this point. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He is oozing authority in word and action. And I don't actually want to spend much time on this verse and talking about authority because I think Robert nailed it last week, to be honest. This is just a continuation of what Robert said and a continuation of Jesus' authority really on display in these chapters. The one thing I would say, though, um, is Jesus models authority for us. We have the same authority, and we've heard that a lot. If you've been in church, you'll have heard that again and again, but we need to hear it again and again and again. We have the same authority. Alrighty, verse 7. The smallest verse, and yet such a beautiful one in this passage. The man walked home. He rose and went home. Coming back to Capernaum and Twizel, um, can you imagine just this man walking home? Which streets did he take? Who were the regular people that he saw? Can you imagine someone just drinking their tea and just saying, what? You know, double takes, choking on the coffee sort of thing. That's Fred who's just got healed. What was the reaction like? What did the man feel like? Think of Twizel again. Just imagine that happening in Twizel and the ripple effects in the community from the sight and news of this man being healed. And here's a key truth I really want to just emphasize. The ripple effect in communities from one person powerfully encountering the Lord can be huge. The ripple effect in communities from one person powerfully encountering the Lord can be huge. Um, can we have the... Um, yeah, that one. Thanks, Glenn. You're reading my mind, mate. Um, at camp, we, every camp we, we do, we do welcome cards for young people. Those aren't them. I'm going to come to those in a moment. Um, but we, we, we divvy it up amongst a group of us, and we make sure that every young person and every adult gets a welcome card. And not just a welcome card, but we wait on the Lord, and we ask God for what he's saying for that person. And we just want to love on them through that card. Um, two things going on with that. We are super passionate at youth about the power of words in a positive sense. Um, and we really, really are passionate as well about hearing from the Lord um, and these sorts of encounters. And I think I've shared a couple of testimonies of, of these before. The Skittles one is a personal favorite of mine, but I won't be saying that one today. I've actually got a document on my computer, by the way, of all the stories I've shared in church so far, because I suddenly hit a moment a couple of months ago where I'm like, oh, no, I've reached that stage where I can't remember who I've told what. And so, yeah, I'm officially there at the ripe old age of 30. Um, youth group doesn't get a document. You get both barrels on repeat, sorry. Um, but anyway, these welcome cards, we, we do them. And, and there was this one kid at camp recently. Um, I didn't know him from a bar of soap, never met him, never heard of him. And as soon as I picked up my pen to write his, I just got musicality and particularly singing. 
And so I just wrote it in his card, and I said, music is in your bones, and it is in your heart. And then you get on with, you know, all the other camp preparations. And, and then I was chatting to this, this kid, and um, he's got a choral scholarship to Christ College. And he picked up this sax as well during camp, and it was like he'd been playing it for years. Like, it was nuts. And that's just one story. I could keep going on and on and on. One of my personal favorites is the, the card we did for a girl joining us from Fairley. And I was talking to her at the end of Easter camp a couple of years ago, and she genuinely thought on the first day that we'd been stalking her, her card was so accurate. And we should probably like, follow up a bit more like, at the start of camp just to, to check in with kids who are new. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing. We do these uh, encouragement cards at the end of each camp as well, where we just spend like an hour I kid you not, over an hour sometimes, and we just write encouragement cards for each other, whether it's just a simple encouragement or a prophetic word. Um, and that board gets peppered, uh, absolutely peppered. And there was a story a young person said to me, just on this theme of one life changed and, and the ripple effects. One of the, the kiddos recently at youth group um, was just sharing, I just encouraged her to share a bit of her story of the last two or three years. She came through Youth Alpha, so big shout out to those who supported us and prayed through that um, a few years ago. And she said, I was at summer camp, I don't know, three, four years ago now, uh, my first camp with youth group, and um, Sophie arrived, <laughs> and within a few minutes, uh, Sophie had prophesied over her and given her a few words of knowledge. And she was telling this story, and she said, that was a real turning point for me, because she said, I had to decide. What on earth was that? This person had no right to know what she just shared, they, had, they, they, they shouldn't know. <laughs> and so she said, I had to decide. And this phrase just stuck with me. And I'm thinking it again for this, this man, going back to Capernaum. I'm thinking about it for my, my mates at, at the football. I'm thinking about it for the young people. I'm thinking about it for us. Just one, one moment. One little wee. And when I say encouragement card, I mean, like... Tiny, teeny tiny. One moment can change a life. Verse 8. We're coming into land shortly. How are we doing? Cool. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. A holy fear which leads to worship. Uh, for those hearing this term holy fear for the first time or seeing they were afraid, um, I think as Christians we, we wrestle with this term a bit um, and struggle with it at times. Uh, and what we're not talking about is, is people being scared of some angry, inconsistent, malevolent dictator God. We're actually talking about awe and wonder of an all-powerful, all-loving God who sees every individual, individual on earth and knows how many hairs are on their head. If I was to make it really simple, I think holy fear, we realize how big he is and who he is. And we realize in context of that how small we are, but also who we are. So I'm not belittling us. I'm not saying we're like ants. You know, <laughs> We realize how big he is and who he is. And in context, how small we are, but who we are as well. 
And I think um, we have moments, actually, more than maybe we realize that get at this concept of holy fear. Uh, a couple of examples, which aren't perfect, exa- perfect examples, but they, they almost represent a slice of what we're talking about with holy fear. When I was young, I went to Paris with my grandparents and brother, uh, wasted on, on young boys like us at that age. But anyway, uh, we had fun. Um, and we were climbing the Eiffel Tower, and um, I remember just as a young kid, just looking up at this thing. Who's been to Who's been to the Eiffel Tower? Hands up! Whoa, Kiwis travel. I meant to do this earlier in the talk. Who's been to Bath as well? What? I probably walked past you when I was growing up. That's nuts. Oh man, the amount of Kiwis I go. Oh, I'm from Bath, and they're like, Oh yeah. And you know what that means? I've been there. <laughs> Anyway, I'm, as a young kid, I'm looking up at this Eiffel Tower, and I was fine at the top. It was at the bottom where I was just like, my feet were tingling. I, I just, I can't even put into words what I was feeling, at just the, the magnitude of this thing. I almost couldn't look up at it. Um, and I, that, that kind of struck me as an example, a slice of what's going on here. And then another example, I remember watching my dad make porridge in the morning. I love porridge. Everyone knows I love porridge if you spend more than five minutes with me. And he'd just be slicing this banana, like, super quick. Um, And I remember watching being like, I'm never going to be able to slice a banana like that. Like, how am I going to adult at all? And and I can now, which I'm really happy about. Um, And I also remember, like, we'd drive to my grandparents from Bath, and it was a a two-and-a-half-hour journey, and I'd just be in the back, and be like, how does dad remember the way? And like, I, I could never do that. How am I, how am I going to do that when I'm older? And it was almost like, who is this man? Like, he's amazing. Um, and it's, I think that taps into some of that holy awe and wonder and magnitude and realizing, like, I knew I needed my dad in that moment. Um, I'm afraid we don't have Acts 8 or 11, but we do have Acts 9. Thank you. Um, Acts 9, 31. Luke says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I think that verse shatters a lot of um, things that are maybe not so good in how we perceive fear of the Lord. Not only is fear of the Lord a good thing, it is meant to coexist with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what if fear of the Lord is not just something that happens occasionally, like, wow, I really felt that that Sunday morning or on the way to the shops on a rainy Wednesday afternoon. What if fear of the Lord is actually something to seek out and steward? Let me unpack that um, in more simple ways. Of Soph and I, when we first got here, we were like, what? It's like a postcard around every corner. It's amazing, and it still is amazing. And we were just like, whoa, coming in New- into New Zealand and South Island. But you know what? The familiarity kicked in after a while. And we still think it's amazing, don't get me wrong, but we've actually had chats about how do we kind of not lose that just awe and wonder? And I think gratitude and thankfulness is a really key tool for stirring that up. Uh, but I think it's, it's similarly important to, to regularly check in with our hearts as to where are we at with that awe and wonder of the Lord. 
where have we moved on from first love with God in our hearts? And there is so much fear and uncertainty in the world at the moment. Um, Band, if you want to come on up, you're more than welcome. There's so much fear and uncertainty. Um, And partly because of big events. You know, I was on the BBC website the other day and it just said climate change, war in Ukraine, financial crisis. And I was just like, as, as the main tabs, I was like, give us a break, mate. You know, come on, where's the good stuff? Not to shove it all away, but, you know, come on. Um, there's a lot of that going around, and there's a lot of deconstruction. And so what was constant previously is not anymore. Uncertainty and fear. And I think we might, with verse 8, and this fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit have really struck upon something profoundly important for us at the moment. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Checking the news, talking to mates in school. Fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'll just finish with um, something on, on, on tying into that. We do a joint youth night every term with North City Youth and Papua Nui Baptist um, Youth. And I was sitting down and chatting with Dan, um, who's the youth pastor at Papua Nui Baptist, and Nicole at North City. And we just said, right, what do our young people need in our joint youth um, this term? Term four, sunny, exams. Usually you're thinking, okay, we're, we're, we're keeping it active, we're keeping it light. We still want to be intentional, but we're not going to do the heavy stuff in term four. And something just rose up in me, and I just shared it, and, and they're used to me getting all fiery. I was just like, you know what? We need the fun, and we need the sunshine. Absolutely. It's good. But they need Jesus. They need Jesus. In their exams, in their uncertainty, in in the fear, they need Jesus. And we need Jesus. I need it. I can feel that pull every day. Can you? Of like the uncertainty and the fear and just all that stuff. It's, It's like a tornado at the moment. But I need Jesus and we need Jesus. And that's where I want to end on. I'll pass over to you guys. So let's look to Jesus and let's let's just worship him. Thanks, mate.